joining us on the Path Radio Mix online. And to get there, type in thepathradio.com. That's thepathradio.com. And enjoy free streaming music all day long. That's it. thepathradio.com. All right, now let's get to the main show, the monthly social podcast with me, your host, Guido Perino, as you go on with Guido. Welcome to 2021. Happy New Year, everybody. This is the first podcast of the new year. Thanks for being with us. Uh, I guess we'll call this season two, even though season one had uh, uh, only three episodes. We started late in the year, but whatever. Hey, we made it to 2021. Got a, a pretty great podcast set up for today. Uh, we're going to be talking with a uh, registered nurse. We've got some uh, topics around sensor- sensorial neural hearing loss, uh, cerebral palsy and parenting, and caring for elderly parents during a pandemic. And then... Uh, We're going to finish things off uh, today with uh, my story about how I was Jean Beliveau's bodyguard for a day. So cool, fun story. Uh, Should be a good listen. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome back and uh, let's get going. Um, My my guest uh, this this month, I'd like to welcome um, registered nurse RN Patty Grev. Patty lives and works in Sault Ste. Marie, and she's agreed to share her personal story and insight with us on a few topics that include sudden sensorial neural hearing loss, cerebral palsy and parenting, and caring for elderly parents during a pandemic. Lots of loaded subject material there for us to digest for this month. I'm sure along the way that um, she'll also offer many other insights as she's been doing with uh, or without my asking for the better part of over 40 years now you see in full transparency patty is my sister and i i'm sure that perhaps i've got a few stories that i'll try and throw in there too but i do have to be careful because she does throw a pretty vicious cartwheel (laughs) i love that I thought it might trigger some memories there, Patty. So, and mm-hmm. and in continue in continuing with transparency, we've been we've been reminiscing for a couple of minutes before I hit record here, and uh, and just laughing. Our our brother's turning sixty years old this year, and and we did some sibling videos and music. And I know that folks know that uh, I do a lot of music stuff uh, through United Way at work and other other uh, uh, opportunities. So we had some laughs there. So, Patty, uh, again, listen, welcome and thanks for doing this. Uh, you do have some great topics today. Um, I, th- I think that they'll really help a major part of my podcast agenda, which is to help inform people from month to month on topics like disabilities and inclusion, racialization, and other topics that, that hopefully in discussion bring uh, people greater understanding and comfort um, with, uh, with, with themselves too, right? So um, before uh, we get into the questions, um, you know, I, I got to tell you, I, and just for, for folks who are listening, I'm really impressed over this last, uh, this last year or so, um, you've taken up gardening to like an, an, a completely new level. Um, you've done stuff outside, you've, you've done stuff inside. And I like growing up, I think I was the one that helped dad the most in the garden. But um, but you, what's the thing that you have inside the house? What's it called? Um, I have a tower garden. It's a hydroponic aeroponic garden uh, that you can <laughs> grow all year round, um, and they're non-rooted vegetables. It, it's phenomenal. Like, what what are some of the things? Like, I see you're always picking stuff and making stuff. With what are some of the things that you're growing in there? Oh my gosh, um, it's. You can do pretty much anything that's non-rooted, as I mentioned. So I have Swiss chard and bok choy and pak choy and romaine lettuce and all your herbs, parsley, basil, microgreens, which are super nutrient uh, foods that you can put on anything. 
Um, I you can do tomatoes. Um, I love all the greens because <laughs> a I just love looking at it and it it makes you feel alive and you know watching things grow. And I know you mentioned you did more with dad, and that's probably true because I was a little bit older then. <laughs> but I did a lot with our grandfather and our nono in his garden and being right in there and picking fresh peas. So it brings me back to that um, because we're in Northern Ontario. You can't garden all year round outside. Right. right. Uh, but I just get the best of that world inside. And that kind of morphed into uh, an interest in outdoor gardening again. And, you know, with the pandemic last year in March, we were all at home. So, I took that up and did some raised bed gardens, gardening, and I just love it. And um, it's just going to, it's, it's a new vehicle for me, and it's a new joy. It just brings me so much joy, and I reflect, and I just, I just love it. I love it. I, it, it, you, I could hear it in your voice, and I know that you, you post online some of the, the amazing, like just large and beautiful uh, vegetables that you're growing, and and you mentioned the outdoor stuff as well. And you you um you sort of uh, read my mind a little bit when it came to the the pandemic. I thought did you know was part of this pandemic related? Like you you started doing it because of the pandemic. Now is it something that you think when this is over, and hopefully that's in sight soon, right? That you'll continue, or or do you see yourself changing it up a bit, or how do you, how do you, what do you think about that? Actually, no, I think I'm going to continue. I think it just kind of helped re- press that reset button and give you the time that you think you don't have mm-hmm. normally in life. Um, and it just gave me that time to focus on something positive and something that is good for you as far as self-care and filling your cup. And um, I think it's just going to grow from here. And so my next plan is, and I actually have the framework for it, is putting in a greenhouse, and um, it's going to be kind of that stepping stone for me into retirement, Wow! and, and just enjoying it, so it's opened up um, a beautiful world that I always wanted to do, but I thought I never had enough time, so. Well, it's, listen, it's been, it's been fun to watch and learn. Uh, it's it seems much more intriguing than than my bread making that I took up, but um, and and you seem very informed and intuitive uh, in terms of the the different varieties and, um, and and it's inspiring. I know that I've seen other people get inspired by your your gardening, so it fits quite well with uh, with the theme of of you know our conversations today um, and and informing people as well. So thanks for sharing the gardening journey with us. And I'm looking forward to at some point when I'm able to come see everybody again, um, enjoying some of it myself. Um, so uh, before we get into the, the meat of the questions, I typically have, you know, four or five questions for, for guests here. Um, uh, as sorry, as we're transitioning into those, one of the questions that I usually ask, um, is, for folks to tell us a little bit about their career journey, um, you know, and I said, you know, in the intro, I said you're a registered nurse. Uh, and forgive me, this sounds a lot like I, I've been accused of, of saying that the, the way that I ask these questions sounds a little bit like an interview uh, because there's multiple parts to it. Uh, but what the reason I'm doing that is so that I can ask what's on my mind and then sort of give you the canvas to, to paint as you will with those questions and, and you'll draw out probably what, what is most important of what you want to say. So, so as a registered nurse, you're a registered nurse. How did you decide that that's what you wanted to be? Um, the other thing that's on my mind is what, what, what was your greatest challenge in achieving that? Um, do you have any advice for anyone who wants to be one? Um, and especially now, like we're in a, in a pandemic, right? Um, you know, would you, would you make the same decision knowing what you know and, and dealing with what, what frontline workers are dealing with? Um, and of course, anything else that you'd like to share about the journey. So I'm going to let you sort of walk with that for a few minutes. And if I hear something, I, you might hear me interject. But uh, if, you can, uh, if you can share that uh, experience with us. Absolutely. Um, it's great to sort of reflect back on our career choices in our life and 
I think it's a great question. And so when I looked at this, I think of way back, and I'm going to go back in 1970, five years old, I'm aging myself, um, uh, our mom was uh, in an accident at our cottage and it was a huge explosion and uh, to make a long story short it was a very traumatic time in our lives Um, but out of that uh, we spent eight months going back and forth to the hospital to see her Uh, she was supposed to have her leg amputated but we met a wonderful doctor Dr. Barr who became a family friend and just a wonderful person, him and his wife and his children. And he actually saved not only her life, but her leg. She was a young woman, 40 years old, with children. And I think that was the start of looking at health care and seeing the joy that it can bring, even though out of that, you know, that sorrow, that traumatic experience, we met some wonderful people. And it's really interesting because that's kind of, I think, how I started wanting to be in that field. And I just love helping others. I love seniors. I love helping others. I love um, doing things like that. But it's really strange because when I did go into nursing, um, I was working as a student nurse and I came across I had a patient and his daughter was visiting and I looked at his daughter and I said, I know you from somewhere. There's something about you that's so familiar. And she says, well, I don't know. I I, I was a nurse. And I said, did you work on the surgical floor at the general? (laughs) And she said, yes. And I go, is your name Teresa? Because all of a sudden it just flowed into me. And she said, yes. And I go, oh my gosh, you took care of my mother. And she said, and you know, who is your mother? So I mentioned it and she remembered her right away. And then she goes, are you little Patricia? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, oh my God, I didn't realize, you know, now I'm in my 20s and going back, not right now, but at that time I was in my 20s. To remember that, I didn't realize how much of an impact that had on me. So Hmm. that was totally something that, that was my number one. Um, and then my number two was, I, I love, I love my seniors. I love geriatrics. And I think that stems back from spending so much time with our grandparents <laughs> and our Nona and Nono and just enjoying their, their, their time, their, their quality time. Um, it led me into long-term care at the beginning of my career and I'm the most comfortable around seniors. I can be out somewhere and a senior will come up to me and ask me questions like random questions or, you know, they'll look at me and they just feel comfortable. And it's because I am so comfortable with them. So I think that's why I started my journey. However, it's a funny story because when I did visit people in the hospital when I was younger on a, on a few occasions, I would pass out. (laughs) So that's not good. No, no. So when I decided, you know, nursing, um, that did cross my mind. Uh, but fortunately, that doesn't happen to me. And it never did when I did go into nursing. So <laughs> I think I made a good choice. And another really funny story is that way back, uh, you know, when I applied, it was a nursing diploma program at Sioux College. I was fortunate that we had such a great program here in the Sioux. And... Um, I applied here. However, at that time, it was just random selection. You know, Mm -hmm. if you met the criteria for the diploma program, then your name kind of randomly got selected. And I was on a wait list. And I thought, oh, okay, great. What am I going to do now? So mom said, you know, what about hairdressing? So I had actually (laughs) enrolled in hairdressing school, Michael's. School of hairdressing on Wellington Street. It existed there. He was a friend of mom's. Yeah. And um, I was enrolled to go there. And <laughs> so I could have been a hairdresser, which is probably, you know, would have been great. So, However, so we, I, I, got, I, have to, I have to ask Patty, because I didn't know this, but I'm having a flashback. 
does this have anything to do with when you and your friends would try to do my hair and put makeup on me? Was that anything related to that? Or was that just little brother torture? Maybe a little bit of both. Okay, sorry, sorry for interrupting. I, no, I think I had I had an interest in hair, and you know, I think as I think as little growing up little girls, and we just liked to do that. <laughs> so you obviously you didn't become a hairdresser though. So no, right? No. <laughs> so yeah, no. I I ended up I was going to enroll, and then I got a call, and I got into the nursing program. So that's how I ended up going into that field. So it was pretty cool to do that. Hmm. Yeah, so I think you mentioned, you know, the greatest challenge. Yeah. Well, the greatest challenge for me was um, I was married at the time uh, when I did get into nursing. And um, also my first year, I was, when they did call, I was now uh, a few months pregnant. And um, I went through school raising wow. not only one but two little people uh so anastasia was born in 91 and danielle was born in 93 and i graduated in uh 94 so i was going to school raising little babies and when i look back at it now <clears throat> i think oh my god how the heck can i do did i do that uh but i had so much support and um, I loved what I did. And I find, too, in life, the busier we are, the <laughs> more we can we can accomplish. And sometimes if I have more time on my hands, I get less done. Um, so ironically enough, uh, my oldest daughter, Anastasia, is now in nursing. And I tell her it's because through osmosis, <laughs> she listened to all my lectures. <laughs> so... Yeah, that was one of the greatest challenges in achieving it. Um, you know, it was a little bit stressful, I, you know, I've got to say, but it was so fulfilling, and I'm so glad that it happened the way it did. So what I would say to others is, you know, um, no matter what you do, no matter what you choose, it has to be something you love. You have to have a passion for it, because then it doesn't seem like work. Then it just... It just flows and comes so naturally, and we do need a lot of great um, nurses and healthcare professionals uh, that really care. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the bottom line. You have to go in it because you care, um, and it just doesn't come to you one day. It's it's in you. It's organic. Uh, it's, orga it's organic, right? Kind of like the plants that you're growing. The organic, the organic factor, right? Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, you have to be empathetic and uh, put yourself in people's shoes. And, you know, in part of my career, I've been lucky mm -hmm. because I've not only worked as a floor nurse, but I've also uh, worked as a manager, worked in geriatrics, ran a long-term care home, um, did so many things. And that's the beauty of nursing is it, it, you can you can have so many, so many opportunities. Right. And what I always... Um, when I did the um, orientation with staff, new staff coming on, I always tell them this, and I have always practiced my nursing this way, is if that was your loved one, somebody mm. that you love so much, how would you want to treat them? And that's how you treat everybody. doesn't matter who they are, where they come from, what race, what nationality, doesn't matter. You treat them as the loved person that, you know, you would want them to treat. So if that was your mother, you'd want them to, how would you want to treat her? And that's how I treat everybody. And if you do that, um, you can really be empathetic and uh, really do the best for the person. I, so I think that, I think that's, you know, cause for pause there just for a moment and say, um, that's important in I think anything that we do, um, and I can see how in the in the healthcare system it would it would even make more sense, right? I mean, we're dealing with people's lives. Um, you're dealing with people's lives, right? <clears throat> um, one thing you said that caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting you to tell the explosion story um, and and that whole event and. Um, it just made me think, like, you're right, if Dr. Barr 
if if that doctor didn't care and and spent hours in surgery, uh, I think my existence would have been challenged because mum would have had a very different life. So, um, you know, the whole notion that you experienced of, of receiving that type of help and, and um, seeing somebody care so much um, and then, you, you know, taking us through your experience of helping others. Um, but Patty, you know, I, I'm tr- I want to transition because when you start talking about helping others, I, I know that once in a while, you know, when I'm not feeling well, I might call you for some medical advice. Um, you know, a consult before I go, go get a consult, I guess. The advantage of having a healthcare um, person in the family. Back in March 2019, something happened to you. And, and I don't know if you had to go through a sort of self-consulting assessment, but the term that you told me that, 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 that what happened to you is called is sens- sensorial neural hearing loss. And that's something that you've experienced, and it's left you with some different perspectives, some of which I can really relate to, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. But... Can you walk us through what happened that day? Um, tell us where you're at now with this and how has it changed your life or, or how do you do things um, with it or in spite of it, I guess? I, I'll, I'll hand that over to you. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so, yeah, it's almost been two years. It'll be two years in March. And uh, I remember the day very clearly. I was working in my office. I was with a patient. And as they were talking, all of a sudden, I thought, okay, I can't hear out of my left ear. What the heck's going on? So now I'm having this internal conversation with myself, and my patient is sitting there, and I'm trying to tune into them, and I'm thinking, you know, what the heck? Is it, is it plugged up? What's going on? So anyhow, uh, my patient leaves, and... Um, I get up and now I'm, I have vertigo as well, which that, you know, the room is spinning and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. So, you know, I got checked out because we have my fellow colleagues in there and I, you know, had my blood pressure checked and so on and so forth. And, uh, it was very disturbing, of course. And, um, I went into the emergency. So what happened there was, um, I was given an anti-inflammatory and told, you know, it's probably uh, an inflammation in your ear. They looked in there. They couldn't really see anything. And, uh, you know, as a nurse, sometimes, and you know, being in healthcare, when it's yourself or a family member, you sometimes take that hat off for a little bit. And I was in such shock of this happening. And, you know, I didn't. I asked a few questions, but I should have really pushed it a bit further, and I didn't. Um, so I, you know, I said, should I not get a, a, a CAT scan or, you know, isn't, this is suddenly like, and they're like, no, no, this is, you know, this is okay, it can happen, and hmm. take this and see what happens, get a hearing test, so on and so forth. So I did go away, but as I went away, um, my nurse came out in me. And although I hadn't heard of this sudden hearing loss, I know as a professional that anything that happens suddenly is not a good thing. You know, suddenly you lose your vision. Not good. Suddenly you lose part of the feeling in your arm. Not good. Hmm. I, you know, suddenly lost my hearing. Not good. So I took it upon myself to, um, A, go get a hearing test. I knew what it was going to show. But I just wanted to see how bad it was. And uh, so, you know, I had severe loss. I got in the next day. And then I started doing more research and realized that I need to go back into Emerge. And the hearing test did show severe. And she said, you need to see an ear, nose, and throat specialist. And you need to see them now, fast. So I went back into Emerge and... Again, when I went in, I, I was I was a little upset. I was a little bit upset at you know the fact that it wasn't treated appropriately, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that there's a window of opportunity for medication, uh, which is prednisone, an anti-inflammatory. Um, so I went back, 
and long story short, when I went into Emerge, there was a long waiting list. I looked up and I thought, oh, God. And then the person that you don't see that often came out of me. <laughs> and it's the person that kind of, I would say, assertive, not aggressive, but assertive. And so I thought, you know what, I I need to get this dealt with. And because I've worked at the hospital, I thought, we need to advocate and 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 let this be heard to somebody. So I went and spoke with the manager and let them know what happened and so on and so forth. And the next doctor I saw took me, uh, took it a little bit more serious, I guess. And I did have a CAT scan. And it's so important to, to rule out other things mm-hmm. that can be happening. Mm-hmm. One of them being like a tumor. And sometimes it's not a... Um, cancerous tumor but it's benign and it's just where it's appearing mm-hmm. um also you know any circulatory issues um most of the time with this type of hearing loss it is uh, idiopathic which means they really don't know why it happens which is the most frustrating thing on earth mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know it could be a virus it could be so many things but i wasn't sick i didn't have a cold i was eating healthy all these things that I was doing right. So it didn't, I didn't really get a concrete answer. And I think that's the most frustrating thing. But however, with anything in life, you, you know, I could have sat back and wallowed in my sorrows and went, oh my God, I can't hear and now I can't do this and I can't do that. But I didn't. I empowered myself and I went searching and I found a wonderful group on Facebook. And this is where social media, I mean, if, if it wasn't around, I, I don't know what would have happened. Hmm. Uh, so I was on this group on Facebook that uh, is a sudden hearing loss group. And it's amazing or shocking, I guess, how many people are on this group, all ages. And the same trend they went to the hospital, they went to the eMERGE, they went to their care provider, and people didn't get the appropriate treatment uh, because nobody knows about this. And I thought, what? This is impossible. How could this be? So, you know, part of my goal is to, A, bring awareness out, B, let people know you're not alone because if, if I hadn't have found that group, you know, where would I be? What would I have done? I don't know. Um, and so when I hear others, I automatically jump in and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And ironically enough, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a another colleague of mine uh, in our office that this happened to. Now, how crazy is that, right? So right away, I jumped in and, uh, you know, said, you need to do this, this, and this. And so, uh, you know, I feel good that I can help others. And, you know, it has brought challenges about in life, but the worst part was going into the grocery store the very first time uh-huh. because with this comes uh, your hearing is heightened, ironically. Your good ear <laughs> makes up for your bad ear. Yeah. And I could hear every cart rolling on the concrete, on the flooring, on the tile. I could hear every bell and it was like over stimulus. I was like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. I can't <laughs> take this. And it really brought into perspective, you know, the things we take for granted, uh-huh. like hearing and vision and touch and, you know, and I thought, oh my God, I didn't realize all this, right? And I don't know, it just, it changes you in, in many ways, and you do have to adapt. And, you know, I have to adapt on where I position myself in an office. I have to adapt on what I do on a phone. Um, I have to adapt in my stethoscope. Um, I actually just got a beautiful stethoscope that uh, the Canadian Hearing Society helped with the funding on it uh, so that it amplifies, so that I can hear heart and lung sounds. Um all these little things that, you know, we all take for granted. So it, it, it's helped in a lot of ways. And I always think, you know, what's the lesson? What, why, why, what am I learning here? So I always look at that part and it helps you deal 
with uh, whatever you're trying to overcome, whatever little stumbling block comes in your way. So, yeah, that's that's so, my story. So, Patty, you there was a there was a part in there where it sounds like you really had to self advocate for your uh, for either a treatment or or to be understood, um, but. You had uh, you had a bit of an advantage that you leveraged some of your um, your training or your um, your knowledge in terms of of health, right? Like you went through a, a process where you said, "Hey, this thing doesn't ha- happen. Things that happen suddenly like this, you know, I should look at them in, in a different way." Um, which 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 suggests to me your experience with it might be different than somebody who doesn't even have that medical training. What what do they do? Like. And and from the support group, did you did you find people that said you know they didn't have that background and it took them longer? Or? Um, actually, <clears throat> you know what? I find people are very savvy these days, and uh, especially the younger generation. I know sometimes people go to Google too much and get information that's not accurate. Right. But in this particular group, what I found was that people did search out. They looked like. Mm. And Facebook was one of the places they went. Um, I just learned about groups in the last couple of years on Facebook. I didn't know that a lot of them existed, um, but there's a lot of pretty incredible groups there. And a lot of people um, searched that out and just, yeah, I mean, they just happened to land in the right place. And you're right. I, I don't know. If you didn't have a background, what would happen? Um, I, and some people to, would it take longer? Well, I'm just thinking it would take longer to get to where maybe you got to. Uh, maybe I don't know. Yeah, from from the people that I've met on that group, they've actually uh, were able to get a lot of information there and acted upon it. <clears throat> so the other part that's interesting for me and and. Um, not everybody knows this, and I've only recently started talking about it. Um, I've been, I, if I can say, I guess half deaf. I, I've, I don't, I haven't had hearing in one of my ears since I think I was about six or seven years old, and um, mine was not from this type of hearing loss. I think part of my eardrum was removed when I was having some surgery, and I, and I think it had to do with having a cyst or something that was putting pressure on it, etc. So. Um, you know, I've, I don't remember ever hearing from, from both, uh, ears, uh, in my life, but, uh, the one thing that I can resonate with you on, or a couple of things is that, um, one is the positioning. I often lean in with my good ear, um, and, and people who don't know that I have a, uh, um, you know, a hearing impairment of sorts sometimes look at me oddly like why is he leaning this way or why is he positioning his body that way i've been i've been asked about it um and uh, you know it leads to to some interesting conversation or whatever the other part is hearing certain things and i I know here at home sometimes the the family will say i will say did you hear that and they'll say hear what and and i'll say that noise did you hear that and i think it's coming from outside and, and they're like we don't hear anything and uh, there's just certain frequencies that my one good ear, for whatever reason, I'm I, I'm oversensitive to certain types of sound. And you kind of touched on that as well. So just these weird things and, and, and to me weird, right, that I would have other expectations. Um, but uh, I guess you and I have in common now <laughs> this that, that we, we, we both can't hear. Just we got there in different ways. But what we've experienced afterwards, there's a lot of similarities, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think you touched on something that I didn't talk about was along with this, you also get tinnitus or tinnitus. Some people pronounce it differently, which is ringing in your ear, the ear that is you can't hear out of. Hmm. And it's not only, it can be whooshing, it can be like cymbals. I had like a band playing in there. Um, And it it usually happens at night. Um, So that can cause a lot of anxiety and mental health and so for that you know there's acupuncture there's meditation Mm. there's relaxation there's what you're eating your food making sure you're hydrated there's just so much um so much information and um again that's one of the things that they don't know how to treat and there really isn't a way to treat it but there are a lot of um other 
things that you can do, alternative medicines um, that, you know what, I threw, when this all happened mm-hmm. to me, I threw anything that I researched at it. I threw B12 at it. I threw flavonoids <laughs> at it. I threw acupuncture because I thought, you know what, this is my hearing. I'm going to yeah. do anything that I possibly can. So, you know, and it doesn't all work for everybody, but you won't know till you try. Have you, have you regained some hearing? Um, I went from severe to moderate and, okay. uh, I didn't, I tried hearing aids and such, but I didn't, I decided not to right away because of the tinnitus and right. because I wanted my brain to adjust. Right. It takes your, your brain has to adjust. And so, uh, you know, I make do, I have some not so good days, but I have better days now than I did before. So well, I, it's an incredible, Patty, it's an incredible story. Um, and uh, I, I'm hoping that as folks listen to your experience and, and some of the things we connected on and some of the support options and, and to self-advocate, if anything of the sort, or that they can relate to of the sort, was to ever happen. Um, I, I'm just looking here. We're, we're about 30 minutes into the conversation and, and a couple of two or three co- uh, questions in. Um, we haven't really, we've, we've kind of brushed on it a little bit. We haven't really talked about COVID-19, which seems odd, right? I mean, you're a frontline worker and, and here you are, we're talking. Um, the reality is there is a lot of information out there about, you know, the steps we need to take in terms of limiting transmission, the importance of, you know, washing your hands and, and uh, you know, I, I'm sure you could touch on those things. But I want to explore something more personal with you. Um, in terms of experience, and you touched earlier on about, um, you know, the elderly and, and care, um, but taking care of elderly parents during a pandemic. I know with me and our other siblings, we're, we're all in these remote cities. Um, we've been supporting our parents through technology and, and some other means, but you're right there. You're helping in person. So you're helping them, you're helping us, but you're helping them, right? Can you tell us a bit about that experience in terms of, of, you know, caring for elderly parents during a pandemic, you know, any feedback on the importance, maybe you've touched on mental health, but in this scenario, mental health for the elderly, um, dealing with the healthcare follow-ups, like they've, you know, if they have to go to a doctor and and what that might entail and, you know, how do they, how do we make sure, how do you help make sure that they have the essentials or any advice for anyone who is taking care of elderly parents and in the context of COVID-19? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, it opens up a whole new world there, for sure. Um, so, with the pandemic, I think, I think with healthcare in general and just life in general, sometimes um, we're more reactive than proactive. And I think this is another lesson learned from <laughs> pandemic and and taking care of our parents and our seniors and maybe friends that you know that are older. Um, that we should be a little bit more prepared, I guess. And some of the things, you know, again, like with our parents, you know, they did their banking at the bank. They paid their bills at the bank. Just a simple thing, right? So, um, you know, they would go out for appointments. They would go out for, uh, get their groceries. They were still active and independent. So one of the things I learned right away from the start was, okay, how are we going to do all this? And organizing online banking and and getting dad especially, (laughs) as you know, dad, he likes, he's so consistent with, you know, having his little paper bill and going to the bank and getting it stamped, that I had to talk to them about this and open up a whole new world to them. And we're very fortunate because, you know, mom, dad, uncle, they spend, they do go on iPads, they do have some electronic um, experience so it was you know setting that up and that was a big piece you know all their financial stuff and passwords and so on and so forth it just like wow and I think what if this person or what if our family we all were out of town how would they handle that right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's so many that don't have anybody and I, I often think of those people and think wow how can we help each other out in the community so that was a big piece the other piece you know you talked about was follow-ups and 
unfortunately, they don't have a doctor here any longer. So we have to do a lot of our um, appointments online. Um, and again, how would somebody do that if they didn't have the experience, if they couldn't do it? So there's a big gap. And, you know, I can help them orchestrate that. We do it online, get the blood work ordered. Um, and I know not even, like, myself, I'm in healthcare, but I know of other friends and, you know, that are not in healthcare that have to do this. So, you know, it's setting people up. And so it brings up, you know, that question, what can we learn from this? Mm -hmm. How can we help those that don't have other people advocating for them, helping them out so that they don't fall through the cracks? Because I think that happens a lot. And the big piece you mentioned is mental health. And as, as a nurse, I see that with my patients out in the community that are isolated and that feel like they have no connection. We're humans. We need connection. We need people around us. We need those conversations. Um, and so that is a huge, huge problem. And even here in our in mom's household, I'm actually here right now. I thought it would be a great place to have the interview. <laughs> um, you know, I worried about them. Mom's busy. She does a lot of the cooking and keeps busy that way. But dad and uncle are not. And so... I was looking, you know, for things to, for them to do that are meaningful and give them purpose because we all need that in life. Right. And I know for, you know, you and Roly and Renata, they'll call and, and the grandkids, they'll call and FaceTime and they love that. That's awesome that we could do that. But it's giving them, you know, it's a 24-hour day. You go to sleep, you get up, what do you do, right? So crosswords, and we talked about maybe painting, and Dad's like, oh, I don't want to paint. I painted all my life. <laughs> so I'm looking for things to keep them entertained, especially in the winter months. Summer is great because they can go outside, mm -hmm. right? The garden, again, the garden, that's, the, you know, a big piece. Being outside, just being in the sunshine, but it, it, it's a huge challenge. It's, it's been a huge challenge, but I think as a not only a community, but bigger as a world, we need to really learn more at, about all these little pieces um, to help out because we don't know where this is going. We don't know, is this the new norm? Is this mm -hmm. the new way? Um, so we have to prepare ourselves in many ways. So, yeah, uh, it's it's been a learning experience for me too. And being patient, because sometimes, you know, having to deal with those little things that don't make sense to somebody <laughs> right? and explaining them, I think that's a, a big challenge. But I think you yeah. highlighted something very important. And, I, you know, I asked you the question from the perspective of your experience dealing with elderly parents. Um, and I made a very big assumption there, right, when with everybody else that that other um, elderly folks out there have someone to help. And, and you pointed out that may not be the case and that that, that story turns out very differently. Um, you know, and there has to be a reliance on some of the programs and the assistance that, that's out there um, in terms of services. But, um, you know, for those folks to know what they are and accessing them might, might be a different challenge altogether. Um, but uh so I, I think it's, you know, folks being able to spread that message and, and maybe the pandemic uh, shines a little bit of a, a light on this in, in how we uh, are prepared uh, to support our citizens uh, afterwards as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely, for sure. I think we do need more, you know, kind of that neighborhood watch program in a sense, right? Where we help our neighbors, we help right. our community, we help our little pods. I think it's important. Yeah, I, I miss those days when we were younger and that, that would happen in everything that we did. It seemed to be more prevalent when I was when I was a kid. But uh, maybe we'll get back to that, with, you know, as a result of, of some folks helping each other out with the pandemic. Um, For sure. Th there's one, a couple more questions uh, as we're down the stretch here. Uh, there's one more topic that I wanted to, to touch, uh, touch base with you on. So, listen, growing up together, we, you know, having typical brother-sister type of moments... Uh, I, I'd never thought, I guess, how much of a great caregiver you'd become. Um, you know, as a parent, um, you had a very specific focus with one of your children. 
And, and um, you know, it led to one of my very first visits to Toronto, which was involved coming to see you and your daughter, my niece, at the hospital. Um, she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at the age of two, I believe. Um, how did you, and you, you know, you, t- you, you talked about uh, uh, earlier, hey, you were in nursing school, you already had one kid, you were, you know, freshly, fairly freshly married, um, along comes a second child, and now you've got this this uh, um, thing going on, which you may or may not have known what it was. So how, how did you figure out what was going on? Um, what impact did it have on you and the family? Um, you know, how, how did you explain it to her as she was growing older? Um, you know, what resources did you have available? Any advice for anyone who, who might be going through the, a similar experience? Maybe even some who are going through some sort of denial, uh, per se. And then, how's she doing today? Yeah, well, those are loaded questions. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I could spend a whole hour on this, um, but in light of, you know, our time. So, yeah, Danielle was diagnosed at two, but what I was noticing... Um, with her milestones, you know, baby crawls, baby, you know, reaches out. Mm. There were certain signs that I was seeing that I thought, okay, she's not doing the things that Anastasia did, the first daughter. And I was comparing it to that. And I was looking at, you know, reading and going, okay, well, sometimes not everybody's the same, right? Mm -hmm. And she was healthy. She was like a nine pound, two, (laughs) nine, two ounce baby. Uh, you know, born from C-section, they're, you know, her, what they call APGAR scores, which they score a baby, were excellent. She didn't go into NICU. There were no issues with the birth. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so there was nothing to tell me that I should be watching for signs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just knew in my gut that something was not right. And I would go back to the, the pediatrician and I would say, you know, she's not, and they're saying, oh no, you know what? It's just a slow delay. Sometimes kids are like that. <clears throat> and the more I researched and the more I read about it and my gut, that just that intuition, I said, you know, there's something more. We need to get, look into this more. And it took up to two years old because, um, what they think sometimes when it's a very mild case is that your brain rewires. And again, we have an amazing brain and it can actually help with uh, different issues. And hers were mostly gross motor. So the walking ability to walk in the muscle, mm-hmm. um, she had spastic diplegia, which means she had some tightness in her legs. And so we saw um, a pediatrician from Toronto through telemedicine here in the Sioux, and that was the first time that somebody actually told me what I already knew in my heart, that she had cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's okay. And it, um, it brings me back to that day because she was two, I was pregnant, and I went back to the van, and the doctor said, do you have any questions? And I just went, I was like in the shock. I was at this robot and I just said, no, bye, see you later kind of thing. And I took her away. And the thing that came into my mind was, it was so crazy. I thought, why am I thinking of that? I put her in her chair and of course I was crying and she was just looking at me and going, mommy, what's wrong? You okay? <laughs> and I just thought, oh my gosh, she's never going to have a high school dance. Hmm. Why did I think of that? But that came into my mind. However, Danielle is a high-spirited, motivated, born in May, Taurus, <laughs> uh, who never, ever gives up. And I've learned so much from her. Mm-hmm. She is, like, as a kid growing up, we never treated her any differently. Uh, we always included her in everything that we could. And I remember her saying, um, I want to go ice skating. And I thought, oh, gosh, how are we going to do this? <laughs> I said, okay. So I put her on ice skates. You know, the other two were skating. And we had, like, a little frame to hold on to. I was behind her. And she did, like, one lap around. And then she looked at me and she's like, okay, I'm done now. And I thought, okay. <laughs> she wanted to experience it. Uh-huh. And... You know what? 
we didn't stop her from that. Another time, which is the cutest story, she was in grade three or four, and she came home and she's like, I'm going to go into cross-country running. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, I'm thinking Hiawasa, right? Trees and gravel and hills. And I thought, okay. And I go, it's, you know, it's running, right? She goes, that's okay. She goes, I'm going to do fast walking. <laughs> and I go, okay. So, I mean, she, this kid doesn't give up. She has this fire within and in comparison to my other daughter, <laughs> Anastasia, you know, sometimes, and just being able-bodied people, we give up so easily. <clears throat> and we think, you know, we don't have confidence. She has more confidence than anybody I know. She does not see herself having a disability. Right. She is the opposite. And I think it's because of how she was raised how people treated her in the school system, what she thought of herself, and which is fantastic, right? Uh, I'm so proud of her. And as she grows older, she continues to be that confident person that just wants to experience things and be um, like everybody else. And and who doesn't want that, right? We all want to be yep. accepted and loved and part of a community. In- included, included, right? Absolutely, yeah. totally included. Yeah. And, um, you know, she just looks for those opportunities. She got her first job. Um, she continues to just blow my mind in so many ways. Um, you know, I wish there was more we could do. And I, and I always, you always have that hope of. Right. But she is who she is. And she is in our lives for a reason. And um, I've just learned that, you know, in life, we fall and we have to get up. And this kid had fallen so many times in her life (laughs) that I think, wow, she keeps getting up and continues on. And it doesn't stop her and slow her down. So I, she's an inspiration to me. I think, I think to um, all of us, right? And listen, you, you touched on something here that... Over the last few questions, when we talk about challenges and disabilities, and you said she doesn't see herself as having a disability, and I meant to ask you, do you see do you see yourself as having a disability with the hearing? And no. right, and hers is hers is obviously more noticeable, right, than than yours or mine, yeah. right? So she has to deal with that perception or how people interpret when when they see something versus not see something right yeah and and she's had to battle that and overcome that and and have people understand it uh, uh, instead of be scared of it right that's right yeah Yeah. she um you know as she got older and you know wanted like i said wanted to try all these different things which was fantastic she actually did a presentation when she was, I think, in grade three or four on cerebral palsy. And she used to wear little braces and she brought uh-huh. them in, kind of that show and tell. Yep. And letting people know, you know, um, what had what was happening, what was going on and what, you know, her challenges were. But at the same time, um, teaching others, right, um, about it. And so I think that's so important it's, it's an extension of you. And it's funny because when kids draw pictures, you see them drawing, you know, stick people. Yep. She would include her, like her, her, she wouldn't have, in some, she wouldn't have her cane there when she had a little quad cane. Uh-huh. And then as she got a little bit older, it was included. It was a part of her. <laughs> and it was so neat to see that transition and what her mind, what she was thinking, right? And she had questions, but she was just, she was accepting of it. She didn't uh, say, I can't do that. Or I, you know, I don't, I can't do that because I, I can't walk or I can't do that because I can't be fast enough. Or she'd always say she'd find a way, you know, find it's, a way. Whether right. It became cool. integrated, it became integrated into her life and your life and all of our lives. Right. As, as we kind of found yeah. our way through it. Right. Yeah. I do have to say that, you know, with, 
being a child and having a disability and there are a lot more resources. Unfortunately, especially with cerebral palsy, as an adult, there are less and less resources, mm. which is, and it, it could be being in a northern community. I think in Toronto area, there's a lot more. There's, um, I think there's Varsity Village where there's just a lot more to do. We're here, we're a little bit more um, behind. And so that's kind of something that, you know, we hope to improve in so many ways because even just finding a doctor that knows a little bit more about that for adults is a bit of a challenge. So, And we're, we're also in a different time. Like when, when you were going through this and, and some of the other things, um, the access to information was a lot different. I mean, it's at it's at your fingertips now. Um, getting it, understanding it, talking to people that aren't just up in northern Ontario. They could be anywhere in the world. It just seems yeah. more accessible. Um, and so hopefully that's translated to um, some greater learning opportunities and, and access to, to information sooner that, that helps some other folks out, right? Yeah, for sure. So, Patty, uh, man, we've covered some really, really good, deep topics here um, and and had some some very personal moments as well that we shared with folks today. Um, but I want to, uh, having covered having covered all this ground, I want to switch gears a little bit, have some fun with uh, some rapid fire type of questions. And and the way that I like to end this off is I'll say the, the topic and and you tell me the first thing that, that comes to mind. Just a little bit of fun as we as we bring this to, to some conclusion. Are you okay with that? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right, all right. So, okay, so here's the first one. Um, Red Rock. Summer. So Red Rock is, is summer. That Red Rock is is our parents' camp, right? Or or I guess down in southern Ontario we say cottage. Um, Peking Palace. Guido. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that, Patty? Because <laughs> we used to go there <laughs> for some French fries, right? <laughs> Um, okay, cartwheel. Black eye. I was kind of hoping you'd say I'm sorry. It's been... <laughs> it's, it's been a few years since you gave me that cartwheel black eye when I was very small. Um, family. Love. The spirit. Joy. It's interesting. I, you know what I thought? I, maybe, I, maybe I'm forgetting... Didn't you have a car called the Spirit? I did. Ah, okay. That I, that's what I had thought at first, but interesting. It was the AMC Spirit, right? Blue, that's blue car. It's yeah. cute hatchback. It was Renata's old car. That's right. Um, okay, last one. Tomatoes. Family. <laughs> All the tomato sauce, right, Patty? Yeah. Good All time. right. Patty, listen, thanks for sharing your stories with me and with whoever chooses to listen. It's always a privilege to have folks listen and, and hopefully they get something um, out of uh, the insights that you've provided today. Um, thank you for doing what you do as a frontline worker. Um, is there any uh, anything you'd like to leave us with before we go? Absolutely. I have this beautiful quote that you probably heard of, but it's, it's, it just fits in nicely with what we're talking about. And it's Maya Angelou. I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. And this is so true in anything you're doing in life. So thank you very much. I truly enjoyed this. And uh, wish you the best. Thanks so much, Patty. Keep things real and keep it safe, eh? All right. You too. Okay. Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome to the story portion of my podcast for January 2021. Goodbye 2020, right? With the event of the new year and um, several measures in place, it looks like the NHL has now um, started up again uh, in a reduced season. I think there's a total of 56 games happening. There's a North Division with all the Canadian teams and they've redrawn the map and uh, put in a bunch of protocols to try and keep the players safe and provide us with some entertainment. 
So I thought with that in mind that I would share with you a story this month about the day, this is hard to believe, maybe, the day that I was Jean Beliveau's bodyguard. How is that possible? This goes back several years now. Uh, I was in uh, going to school in Windsor, attending the University of Windsor, and I had a little part-time job at this little shop called Smith Books, and I, I think it was the Devonshire Mall, if I remember correctly. Maybe I can't remember. It was it was the mall, one of their big malls, anyways, in in Windsor. Um, and uh, the um, manager of the store says to me one day. Um, hey, you know, can you work on, I can't remember the exact day it was, can you work on Thursday? We've got a, a, a book signing happening. And I said, well, I don't know, I, I had some classes on Thursday and and um, things were getting pretty uh, busy at school and I said, I don't know if I could take on that, that extra shift. Uh, she goes, I really could use somebody, it's some hockey player and, um, you know, we need somebody to keep the, the audience uh, further back. He's going to come for a book signing. I said, well, who's, who, who's the hockey player? She goes, I, you know, his name is Gene. Uh, I'm thinking, Gene, I don't know any Jeans. I said, Gene who? She says, Gene uh, Bellevue? And then we both looked at each other and I was still trying to process because in my mind I'd already realized who the hockey player was but but uh, she was looking at me like are, are you okay and I said Jean Jean Beliveau is coming here she says oh is that how you say his name uh, yes um when what day was this <laughs> I said she says uh Thursday, right? Uh, I said, okay. I said, uh, I'll I'll take the shift. And she says, well, I haven't told you what time. I said, uh, it's okay. It, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's okay. Just tell me when he's going to get here, when I need to be here. So, um, all right. So she sets that up. And I'm on cloud nine. I'm thinking to myself, I have to stand... Um, in a spot where I'm going to make sure people don't get too close to Jean Beliveau. Now, you understand, like, I never saw him play live, of course, but, um, you know, my brother had had uh, told me so many stories about the Montreal Canadiens and, and Jean Beliveau, and, and uh, he was one of our favorites. And, um, you know, saw enough uh, uh, videos and, and highlights on him uh, in the past. So... So I go home that night, and I was living with my brother. He was kind enough to, to help me out during university days. And uh, and I was living with my brother, and I said, you're not going to believe this. I said, I'm, you know, this, this week I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be John Bellow's bodyguard for a day, like make sure people don't get too close. He's like, no way, this is amazing. So so um, anyways, um, I think it might have been the next day or so, uh, my brother comes home, and he has a, a gift for me. I said, well, what's this? He went and got me a Jean Beliveau rookie card. And I said, oh, this is too cool, right? This is really neat. I said, I wonder if he's going to sign it. So anyways, um, well, fast forward. The day comes. I, I go to the store. I'm there early. I've got a tie on, you know, nice white shirt and everything. And um, we're in the back and, and the manager calls me over and she's, okay, he's here. Um, you know, come meet him so he knows who you are and, and vice versa. And so I go to the back and, you know, I, he's standing there and he's such a tall, tall person. Um, and I, re, you know, I extend my hand out and I say, Mr. Beliveau, and he's shaking my hand, right? He reaches for my, I reach for his hand. He reaches for my hand. I say, Mr. Beliveau, this is this is such an honor. Um, you know, uh, I've I've watched all your highlights, and and my brothers told me all about you, and um, you know this, and we're shaking hands at the same time, and this is continuing, and uh, uh, you know this is such an honor that I that I could be here, and 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 that you're allowing me to do this, and um, I think it's so fantastic, and it's great, and and I'm still shaking his hand, and at this point, my manager Edna 
um, she, she starts kicking me in the shin because she's kind of standing beside me. <laughs> I'm looking at her like, what? She's like, let go of his hand. I'm like, all right. Now, when I tell you his hand, his hand wrapped around my hand completely and I think touched the back of his own hand again. He was, it was such, such a big, such a big mitt, as they say, or a big paw, as they say in hockey sometimes. Um, I, I'm pretty sure, like, you know, when he was looking at me, he was thinking, Who's going to save me from this guy? Never mind him saving me from the people who are going to come in line with us. So, um, anyways, it, it, was, uh, it was a moment that I, I won't forget uh, meeting him that way. Um, so we go out and do this. We, you know, he sets up. He's got the table in the front of the store. And the line had already been forming. And, and we do that for a few hours. And it, it was great. Uh, went off without a hitch. Uh, you know, folks were were so happy. They you know, wanted to take their picture, and we made sure that that all all of that worked out really well. Um, I'm still pretty sure the condition and the size of him that if anything had gone wrong, he'd he'd probably protect me before I would have protected him. But I like to think that um, you know I provided some shield for him that day. Um, what really struck me though, well, the thing I, I remember, one of the things I remember the most, or 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 I love the most about it was when the official book signing was over at the front he went to the back of the store and listen it's a bookstore the, the stock back there the shelves are really tight there's not a lot of space um you know we don't have the best uh, tables and chairs they're just your standard tables and chairs and and um he sat he must have had about he, i think it was like 300 books of people who just couldn't make it that day um, who wanted their book signed. And uh, he sat at this table and, and um, you know, this little wooden chair, and he opened every single book, and he signed every single book. And if there was a, a note of, of, hey, make it out to, to you know, so-and-so, he, he signed it. Um, and he did that with all of the books that were in the back that day, which was, it's phenomenal. It really spoke to, to the character and to the generation of, of the hockey player um, uh, that he was. Um, so one of the last things I asked him before I, I left after my duties were done for the day, is I said, you know, Mr. Beliveau, would you please sign my book? And would you mind, um, autographing this, this card? And, uh, he, he took the card and he put it on the desk and he looked at it for maybe 20, 30 seconds and I thought to myself, I, I remember him looking at the card thinking, oh, maybe he's not going to sign it. Maybe, you know, it, I guess when a hockey player signs something, will it get too much value and he doesn't doesn't do that sort of thing? Um, but it, the more I looked at him and the more he was looking at the card, it was like a, a moment of, re of reflection almost. Um, anyways, he ends up, you know, turning the card sideways and, and he autographs the card. And I, I have it to this day. It's uh, it's on my shelf. Um, I also had a uh, his his the book was autographed, and I had my picture taken with him. Um, so it was it was a total honor. Um, we had a lot of fun, and I just remember you know the the character uh, that he had that day, uh, and how he showed that he cared for people who who couldn't even make it that day. So great great personality, great story. Uh, on the heels of the NHL returning, I hope uh, that uh, they have a safe return and that we can all uh, have some entertainment with, uh, with that in this pandemic time period and that hopefully the game produces more uh, players and people with the same uh, great character of Jean Bellevue. Thanks for listening and take care.